Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, April 25th. The Cubs and Brewers just finishing up a three-game set at Wrigley Field, and the Cubs dropping the final two of this series, so another series win for the Brewers. Unfortunately, that is a lot of series wins for the Brewers against the Cubs in the early going, and these two teams don't see each other for a while, so we will put a pause on that rivalry for a bit. Uh, And Brendan, you know, this was another in a series that I feel like we've seen uh, frequently to to start this this season in that it was a winnable series that the Cubs ultimately drop and it started with a huge offensive performance a big win for the Cubs on Friday you you felt like the vibes were good heading into the weekend and as I ended the last podcast you know the Cubs had gotten back to 500 and it felt good it felt like we could kind of do exactly as I'd hoped and ride that to a nice streak a nice stretch here and then they drop a a couple of pretty frustrating games on Saturday and Sunday to be back at 10 and 11. But we do have Nico Horner doing well making smart plays defensively hitting line drives all over the place Uh, so absent of that uh, those last two games I think the overall immediate future looks a little bit brighter than it was a week ago Jake Arrieta calmed down got his bearing straight he looked good for six innings and I think again just the overall picture for the immediate future given that we have Nico up given that you're seeing Bodie get more results given that you're seeing Jake Marisnik and Duffy uh, contribute I, I think for the next few weeks it's going to be tough but I'm not going into these two weeks as you know pessimistic as I may have been a week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah, I think it, it it's starting to sound like a bit of a broken record, but this is just kind of the deal with this team. It's going to come down to games like Saturday and Sunday. Sunday, the score I don't think necessarily reflected. It was a 6-0 final for the Brewers but I don't think necessarily reflective of how close the game was. It was basically one to nothing. It was literally one to nothing for the entire game, and then it got off the rails in the ninth inning. But it's it's going to come down for this Cubs team to those tight games, and especially against uh, a team like the Brewers, who at this point uh, might find themselves as the favorite if you look at some of the projection models on fan graphs or anything like that. In this NL Central, these are the types of series and these are the types of games that you're going to need to win. So like you said, Brendan, there are a lot of 
individual positives, a lot of trends that I think have this team going in the right direction and hopefully can come together to lead to better overall results. But in the meantime, you know, this is, uh, it was a frustrating weekend because you do feel like, you know, that 4-3 loss on Saturday and, you know, Sunday's game being one to nothing for, you know, eight innings and feeling like it was a winnable game against a tough starter in Woodruff, but not able to pull it off. You, you kind of feel like those are the the boxes you're going to need to check going forward to, uh, have a better overall result. But we will talk about the individual good stuff, some of the bad stuff, and everything in between. Let me do a uh, quick recap of these three games to set the table. As I said, on Friday, it was a 15-2 to win for the Cubs. That put them at a game over 500 at 10-9. and A nice start from Kyle Hendricks, six innings, six hits, two earned runs, one walk, and six strikeouts. He got bit by the home run ball a couple times, but no worse for wear. A nice quality start and a win for Kyle. We also saw Kyle Ryan come in behind him for two innings, so good to see Kyle Ryan out there, a solid two innings for him. The Cubs getting their runs in this one. Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez hitting back-to-back home runs, always fun. Jake Marisnik getting his first home run as a Chicago Cub in this one as well. Wilson Contreras would add to the fun. In addition to that, the Cubs 15 runs on 17 hits. Some other of the scattered RBIs coming off the bat of David Bodie. Jake Marisnik has a bases clearing double in this one as well. A three RBI double there. Nico Horner with an RBI double in this game. Jason Hayward with an RBI triple. And Austin Romine actually getting on the board with an RBI double late in this one. So that was the tale on Friday. On Saturday, it was a 4-3 to three loss, a frustrating one. The Cubs took a 2 to nothing lead early in this one in the bottom of the second on the aforementioned Nico Horner, an RBI double that scored two, but the Brewers would score four unanswered runs in this one. Jason Hayward would cut the lead to one in the bottom of the eighth with his second home run of the season, but it would not be enough as Josh Hader closes the door on the Cubs, and that was all that she wrote. Adbear Alzali was pretty solid in this one, uh, not allowed to continue and try to pursue the win, which I think was the the right call from Ross, but, you know, bringing in Rex Brothers, it, it gets uh, a little murky. It's hard to say, but we'll have to continue to see how Ross lets Alzali go deeper into games, how he's using the bullpen, etc. I thought it was a fine decision in the moment, but overall, Adbear goes four and two-thirds, two hits, two earned runs, two walks, and seven strikeouts. Obviously, the seven strikeouts jumping out at you there. Got a lot of whiffs, was really effective with a lot of his stuff. So again, I think a building block start for Alzali. But again, a 4-3 to three loss was the result on Saturday and on Sunday. It ends up being a 6 to nothing win for the Brewers, but I don't think that really tells the tale of the game. It was one to nothing early. Jake Arrieta started with a very uh, spotty command in the first inning. He walks in a run that looked like it was going to be the only run of the game. But after that, Arietta settles down big time, retiring 15 in a row after that first inning. He ends up going six innings, two hits, one earned, three walks, and eight strikeouts. So much like Alzali, the strikeout was in play for Jake Arietta, and he gets himself another quality start. Unfortunately, he is hung with a loss just because of that walked-in run. 
Jason Adam would allow five earned runs. Dylan Maples helping him out with that. Uh, Not good from either of the two of them to uh, relieve late in this game, but like I said, it was it was really a one to nothing game, and, and Brandon Woodruff was the story for the Brewers. And you know the ninth inning was putting it out of reach for the Brewers, but that was all she wrote, Brendan. So uh, again, it started with a, a big offensive explosion. You know, uh, like we talked about when the Cubs' offense was struggling so much at the beginning of the year, we knew there was going to be those games where the lineup felt deep everybody in the box score was contributing something. You've got different guys hitting home runs, different guys racking up multi-RBI games, and it just didn't carry through the weekend. And this is something we've seen with this Brewers team, Brendan, that they are really good at locking down these close games, these one-run games, these, you know, four to three games. Sunday looked like a one-to-nothing game that the Brewers were successfully locking down until they scored more runs. So at some point, I think throughout this season, Season to win this division once again, like they did in 2020, the Cubs are going to have to get better and more consistent at winning these close games. No doubt. And that that's kind of where I'm thinking right now is how can you improve some of the fringe aspects of the team? And so is that in the bullpen? Is that in lineup construction? Is that in defensive alignment? Like how, how do we make it so that these one-run games if they keep happening, which they might, they they end up winning more of these because to to lose that one run game on Saturday, and again, even though they they lost six nothing on Sunday, it was basically a one run game the entire time. How do you make it so you have more opportunities to win those games? And I think there are possibilities, and we'll be curious to see at what point the Cubs actually start messing around and trying to mix a match and find the right combinations to win those types of games. Yeah, and I I think that that's going to be a a big discussion on this podcast as we near the end of the first month of baseball here, uh, you know, just several days left in April. Is it time? When is it time? And and how do you kind of look at that in terms of improving things on the margins, right? One month isn't necessarily a long enough sample to make – official declarations on certain players or situations and things like that, but you do kind of start looking at the calendar and, and time is is slowly drifting away and in a division you know is going to be tight on a team that has so much potential variability, you begin to wonder when do we kind of have to look at some of these things to make some changes, shake things up a little bit, and, and how do you want to pursue that? So so we will talk about that first, Brendan. Uh, while, while we're just talking about this Brewer series, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on the pitching performances of Alzali and Arietta in particular uh, before we move on to, you know, maybe looking forward as to what the team should be doing with the roster or the lineup yeah. or the, the bullpen and things like that. Uh, so while we're kind of wrapping up on this Brewer series a little bit, uh, what did you see from I, I'm I'm especially curious your thoughts on Alzali because you know I think his his uh, thing early in the season here, you know, obviously you want him to be going deeper into games. We know he's going to be on somewhat of an innings limit. He's already been doing the kind of up and down, go to the satellite thing. Uh, but it's, it, especially in these last couple starts for him, it's, it's obviously clear that the stuff is there, the potential is there, and it, it feels like it's close to, you know, kind of clicking and getting more out of him. But we, we've talked about the Cubs' need for 
someone in this rotation to give them more length. Both Arietta and Hendricks giving the Cubs six innings on uh, in their respective starts on Friday and Sunday. But what did you see from Adbear in particular in that game on Saturday, and and how do you think he's going to factor into all of this going forward? Alzolai looked good, Corey. The the problem, if you want to call it that is that it's hard for him to go deep into games right now. So you know the Cubs are trying their absolute best to be cautious with them, probably given last year's COVID season and his recent uh, injury history. But when he's out there, he's looked phenomenal. And I think his start on Saturday may, may have been his best start, visually speaking here, of the year. So he threw 83 pitches. 44 of those 83 pitches were sliders. This is kind of like what we saw you Darvish do at certain points in his Cubs career and his tenure is he went predominantly to that slider and he was working the rest of his pitches off his slider. And that's what Alzelay did. So he threw 44 sliders. He got nine whiffs on those sliders. He got eight called strikes. He got a ton of strikes just by throwing those sliders. And then he played the four seam off it. He played the sinker off it. And he got two whiffs on his four seam. He got two whiffs on his sinker. And he threw 38 total pitches between the two. So looking at that and seeing some of the swings he got and seeing how confident he looks on the mound, especially in some high leverage situations, I I like the feel. At some point, he's going to go deeper into games. There's just no doubt about it. And I don't know when that's going to be. Of course, you want it to happen as soon as possible. But once he's allowed to go deeper and have a longer leash, this is an extremely interesting type of pitch arsenal because you don't typically see young pitchers do this. I, I, I'm i trying to remember, even in like recent Cubs history, I've never seen a young pitcher come up. First off, we never really see them anyway. But when they do come up, they're not, they're not throwing these types of unorthodox arsenals where you're pitching backwards. You're you're pitching your slider first as a starting pitcher. Uh, really fascinating. And I think it's it's working so far. And I'm, I'm excited to see more. I think this is someone who was not a slider pitcher a year ago. Wasn't even a sinker pitcher a year ago. And now he's basically exclusively those two pitches. Uh, stands some of those four seamers. So overall, love watching them pitch. Really encouraging. It's just a matter of time and when he's allowed to go deeper and if he is allowed to go deeper maybe he steps up and surprises people and he becomes that top three guy that you can uh, rely on when you need whiffs when you need to limit the contact yeah I, I certainly think you know obviously of of the group that we're going to be looking at I you know I think he's got the most potential to do that and I, I find myself you know really looking forward to his outings just because you know you feel like he's about to take that step or, or just the person yeah. most likely to take that step and, and give you, you know, maybe those really exciting, like dominant outings. And, and, the, you and that be attitude patient, he but, has. Yeah, I, I think that's that's part of, you know, kind of what I, I'm, I'm saying about just feeling like he's got that potential and he's that guy, like he, he does have a presence out there. And it's it's just about putting it together and, and having the patience with him. Uh, you know, he's another guy where his track record and his experience level at the major league level is not very long. So, you know, you have to be patient with him. And like you were saying, Brennan, with his innings limit, his potential pitch limit, and just, you know, being careful with him 
kind of like someone like Nico. They're, they're different guys, but it, their long-term development is the yeah. main focus, not necessarily how can we quickly get them to contribute in 2021. So it'll come with Adbera. Again, I, I think this was another positive step, length and, and being able to carry some of the dominance that we've seen from him in particular innings or, or in particular stretches over these starts, that's the next step that, that really kind of continues getting you excited about him. And I think the next step that I would imagine Ross and Tommy Hadovy and everybody want to see from him, how do we get him to get through the fifth, get six innings, start to get up there, you know, maybe seven innings, keeping that dominant stuff, keeping the strikeouts coming, but getting more length out of these games. Uh, so with regard, Kyle Hendricks looked good on Friday. He's Kyle Hendricks. Uh, you know, I, I, there, there, if there's ever a time where we need to pause and talk about Hendricks for any particular reason, we will, but I, I don't think there is. He's just Kyle Hendricks. Um, he'll get better as the weather warms up and the season wears on and, you know, he gets his, his arm, uh, you know, where he wants it to be, his mechanics and everything like that. So it was a good start on Friday and he'll continue to deliver good starts. I don't think there's any uh, particular insight on Kyle Hendricks at the moment. But want to highlight Jake Arrieta uh, yeah. again, and I know, Brennan, I'm sure you have some particular thoughts on what he was doing with his his pitches and his mechanics and things like that. But really simple for me, uh, his starts so far in his return to the Cubs uh, in order, six innings, one run, six innings, two runs, five innings, three runs, five innings, one run, six innings, one run. Perfect. That's exactly what you're looking for from him, right? This is a guy you signed uh, to a short-term deal for not a lot of money to be a middle-ish rotation kind of guy, bring him back home, feel-good kind of thing. He's giving you exactly what you could have hoped for from him. As I've been looking at with some of these guys, he's certainly keeping the team in the game every time. He hasn't given up more than three runs in any of these outings. He's gone at least five in all of these outings. He's gone six in three-fifths of the outings. Like, they're, you know, again, like he's not vintage Jake Arrieta. It's not that same guy, but he's been effective. He's giving the team a chance to win. He's picked up three wins himself. The loss he takes on Sunday, completely undeserved by him. And I, I just don't think you can be asking for anything else. This is, uh, at least so far, a picture-perfect reunion for a guy who struggled in Philadelphia and who you were bringing back to contribute exactly what you're looking for uh, to this rotation, especially when you add on what he means to the fans and what he's able to contribute in this clubhouse, as we've seen so much since spring training with guys like Alzali and stuff like that. So this has gone really well for Jake, and uh, particularly on Sunday, very Im- impressive for him to be able to settle down after that uh, rough first inning because that 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 this this was one of those starts that easily could have gone off the rails and put the Cubs out of reach, especially with Woodruff on the mound and what the Brewers are able to do with their bullpen and holding down leads. This could have been a game that you could have written off in. 20 minutes if Jake had not been yeah. able to settle down, get the outs, and keep things tight. Uh, so uh, I'll let you dig into some of the particulars, but just from a results standpoint, right, this is about as good of a low-risk signing as you could have asked for 
it's only through uh, five starts, you know, so we're not uh, super deep into this, but I, I don't think you could have asked for a better start uh, from Jake Arrieta in his reunion with the Cubs. Well, you're seeing that veteran mindset that he has. When I say veteran mindset, it's the ability to adapt within the game extremely fast. And we saw that twice in that start today. The first time after he walked uh, Shaw with the bases loaded to bring in a run, locked it down, got out of it, and did not even give up another base runner for 15 straight batters. So that that is that is who Jake is. For some reason, when his stuff is not there or it doesn't look good, I don't know how he does it, but he escapes these jams. And he did that throughout 2017 and even 2016, even though the numbers were not like you know what he was in 2015, but he was still able to get through outings when his stuff or command was not there Ice so i the think veins, that man. I, that's exactly it but i think today the stuff was fine and i think the stuff has been fine the entire year what has been shaky for jake is the command and i feel like even in his first five starts the command is not what he wants it to be that's just my feeling my interpretation if you watch where in this case, where uh, Romine set up today behind the dish, there's no data to back this up. But I feel as if he missed like 80% of his fastball spots. Like there were so many instances where the catcher was setting up on the lower outside portion of the dish and area that would miss up. And for the first four innings, all of his sinkers, like almost all of them, were either at the belt or even higher. <laughs> and uh, I think it's kind of funny though, because going into this start, with his sinker, he only had eight whiffs, like through his first four starts with the sinker, only eight whiffs. And then he ended today's start with six sinkers whiffs. And I think unintentionally he got those whiffs because those fastballs were up in the zone. And we've heard Tommy Hadevi and Jake Arrieta saying that they're going to attack the lower outside portion of the dish. That's just who he is. Go, go for it. If that's what makes you comfortable, if that's, if that's your way of pitching, then there's no way of getting out of that. But it's just kind of funny to me to see Jake when he's not intending to get those whiffs up in his zone. He like unintentionally got them. But also too, one last point with Jake is once when he got to that sixth inning and he got into another jam, the difference this year to years past are many, but the biggest difference, at least in terms of recency, is his curveball. So his curveball this year is just a better pitch. It just moves more and it has more vertical break. And he used that pitch to get out of that sixth inning. And you saw it. Go back and watch that sixth inning. Those 80 mile per hour curveballs dipping down and in the lefties are beautiful pitches. And so far this year, he's throwing those pitches, those curves with five more inches of vertical break. So even if the command is not there with Jake, you know that weird release point, that crossfire action, that wild tailing action on that two-seamer, it's going to it's gonna be hard to hit. And so you may not be able to locate, you may not be able to command to the, to, to the degree you want to command, but because that stuff is so nasty, you have more margin for error. And again, like Jake did not have that curveball last year. He talked how he could not throw crossfire because of his knee injury. Now that's fixed. And now even despite having you know, suboptimal command, he can still get three innings. And that's exactly what we saw today against a pretty good hitting team. 
So I again, I think that's that's gone about as well as you can hope for, and I, I think you can pretty pretty much count on Jake to to give you a solid outing. I, you know, they're like anybody else; he's he's going to have some clunkers in there probably, but I think everything we've seen in terms of the stuff, the the pitch usage, his ability to adjust, and everything, I, I think you just have confidence with him out there on the mound. And uh, again, you know, I'll just go back to like, you know, he's just better because he's not with the Phillies, but that's uh, a discussion for another day. So what I want to get into now is kind of what we alluded to at the beginning. I don't know that there was anything like major in terms of, uh, you know, like we've been talking about a lot of these guys, uh, you know, Rizzo, Brian, Contreras, Hap, etc. And and we're going to talk about some of them in particular, but in terms of just like their, their offensive performance, I don't know that we saw anything this weekend that has drastically changed a lot of the stuff that we had focused on in the past few episodes, but I, I want to get into what we were talking about in the beginning, which was the margins for this team, the little adjustments, changes, whether it's in the lineup, the bullpen, the roster as a whole, because to me, and, and I think uh, you you would agree, Brendan, like this, we, we, we knew coming into the season that this was going to be a highly variable team, right? That they had the potential to be on the good end of things. They also had the potential to be on the bad end of things. It, 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 it is a roster that is just built that way. This is not the 2016 Cubs where you just expect them to show up and beat whoever they're playing into the ground. They're going to win 100 plus games because they, they're just too talented. That, that's not who this team is, right? But I think when you look at this series with the Brewers, this series that they played with the Mets prior to that, and even that one against the Braves uh, last weekend, the the key in all three of those series, we saw the Cubs have at least one offensive performance that was an explosion, right? Like over 10 runs. Around though, those games, though, is where I think this season is going to be won and lost for the Cubs. And I, I think a good juxtaposition, which you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know is my favorite word. The Mets series and this Brewers series, I think, is a really, really good comparison because in the Mets series, the Cubs have an offensive explosion, and surrounding that, they have uh, some closer wins, right? In this Brewers series, they explode for 15 on Friday, they lose a one-run game on Saturday, and they lose what was mostly a one-run game on Sunday. And so it, 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 begs the question or or you know sort of incites the conversation around are there things the cubs need to be looking at maybe they don't have to do them yet maybe some of them they do some of them they don't but are there things that you want to be looking at as we near the end of the first month right and like i said it's not necessarily a long enough sample for some of these things to make the sweeping conclusions that you may have to make or that you would like to make about some of these things. But in a division that is going to be close with a few teams probably going to be in the mix for the duration of the season, it's going to come down to series like this weekend, you know, how you perform in the division, how you do in one-run games, things like that. 
there's a lot of stuff to look at in terms of do we want to stick with this or do we want to move on from this or do we want to change this up a little bit and the first place that i would like to go brendan is with ian happ in the leadoff spot now i want to preface this conversation by hoping that you guys have listened to the past few episodes where we've talked about Hap, because if you had, you would know that when I asked this question, it is coming from someone who has been very adamant about praising Hap's overall approach, his plate discipline, his uh, you know ability to take his walks, and and a lot of what he's doing. And you know, you've heard a lot. They talked about it on the marquee broadcast and stuff, and you'll see it all over social media and in the writing that his expected numbers throughout the season, uh, not necessarily in, in the immediate past, but throughout the season have been good. He he pro, he deserves better than the line that he has. So I want to preface with that because I, I don't want it to get twisted that this is necessarily uh, a, a negative conversation about Hap. It's just asking questions as we end a month of baseball here. My question to you, Brendan, is at what point, right, we, we, you especially are, are always fond of the expected stats, looking at the stat cast numbers, looking at exit velocity, launch angle, things like that, and, and saying, did Ian Happ deserve better than this ball finding, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr.'s glove or something like that, right? And and for most of this season, the answer has been yes, right? He deserves better than a 521 OPS because of his approach, his batted ball profile, everything. But as we near ending a month of baseball, how long, do, how long can you look at those expected numbers and say, we're sticking with this process, we believe in this process, while your leadoff hitter has a 521 OPS because on a team that has struggled to score runs at, at a lot of times in this season, you know, when they're not putting up a 15 run effort, you start to again wonder where can we maybe be making changes? Should we be making changes? And I'm not even I haven't offered a position on this, but I do think that if, you know, the the calendar turns to May, and you're leading off with a guy who's got a sub 600 OPS, uh, people are going to start to ask the question, and I don't know that it's un- an unreasonable one to ask. So would you be looking at that now, Brendan? Do you think it's a crazy question? Stick with the process. The results will come. Where are you on this? So the tricky part when I think about this is if you make a change, if you move Hap out of the leadoff spot, does that disrupt his process? Sure. So if you move him down to the five or six spot, can we assume that what he's doing in the leadoff spot persists in that type of new role? And I think that's a fair question, and that, that's my holdup. Now, assuming that that type of approach does persist, if you move him down to the five or six spot, it has always been my preference to bat someone like Ian App in the middle of the order. When you have the potential to hit 30 plus home runs and see so many pitches, I want that type of profile hitting with more men on base. I it's just a standard that I always have. Now, given some of the issues with the team over the past two years in the leadoff spot, I I think it does, and even now you can have the argument, it, it does make sense to keep Hap in the leadoff because he does take many pitches and he does walk. But over the last now year and a half, two seasons, you're seeing, from my point of view and from the number side, 
sustainable changes to Jason Hayward's approach. And I float the idea, I'm not, this is not a super strong opinion, but it's just when we have this discussion of how can you improve the margins, I do think it's a fair discussion. Hayward's different than Hap in terms of how he hits particular pitches. And as an example, I mean fastballs right now. And before 2019, uh, I mean the second half of 2019, Hayward could not hit fastballs. He So he's worked really, really hard since 2016 to change that. And so far in the early going here, despite Hayward also not having like good numbers, um, he's still hitting high fastballs. And so if we look just at the like expected batting average of high pitches for Ian Happ, right right now it's it's like 223 and below in those upper uh thirds of the zone it's just really bad and if you look at Jason Hayward in those same regions of the zone so the upper third portion of the strike zone he's batting almost with an expected uh, batting average of 300 right now, in terms of the entire sum, you brought up the expected numbers. And I think, like, of course, you want to look at the expected numbers because that tells you what you can expect going forward, assuming there's no you know, changes and assuming that these guys continue to hit the ball well. Hap, if you look at the last eight games, really bad, really bad uh, process. And if you just take his like rolling average, expected weighted on base average, it peaked at 390 a week ago. And then today going into Sunday's game, it's like below 325. So now it's below league average. So it goes to show you that despite the first two weeks, despite the first 14 or so games of Hap looking good, for, for whatever reason, the last eight games or so have, 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 not, have not been good. And I think it goes to show you that when you have someone with Hap's profile who sees a lot of pitches, but it's not going to make a lot of contact, and when he does make contact, it's going to go far, it sounds like a Javi Baez. It sounds like a Jock Peterson. It sounds like a Kyle Schwarber, those types of hitters. And those are great because you could go through stretches and you could have men on base where all of a sudden you run into a three-run home run, and that's valuable. And that's something that you're not going to see as often when Jason Hayward's batting six. And Jason Hayward right now has very similar plate discipline numbers as Ian Happ. Happ's a little bit better, but even Hayward right now is well above league average in terms of his chase rate. And they're very similar when you compare Happ's and Hayward's together. So my thinking is this, Corey, just to reduce it down to like one common thought. Um, I think given Happ's inability right now to, to, to hit high fastballs and his overall inability throughout his career to not make consistent contact, my thinking is that that's going to lead to a more inconsistent, volatile, prolonged stretch from the leadoff spot. And we want to mitigate and reduce that variability. So from that point of view, when you have Jason Hayward, who's showing good play discipline numbers and is making well above league average contact, and just look throughout his recent career, the peaks and valleys are going to be a little bit more even for Hayward. And from the leadoff spot, I want that. I don't want to go through a week stretch where you cannot get on base. And then the following week, you're going off. That's People are going to make the argument, well, you know, that week they go off, you're going to win those games. Sure, that that's fine. But we're talking about trying to improve 
the margins, and I don't want to bank on that because there could come a point where that contact rate is not salvageable. And it's happened so many times for these types of hitters in the past, including Javi uh, recently in 2020 in the first part here, and including Schwarber throughout his entire career. So these high whiff guys, they are extremely volatile. And I get it. And I love Hap. And I, I want to point that out too, because I think he bet he is best probably served in the middle of the order. And it's not to knock him, but I think where I'm where I'm at right now, I want to give some consistency at the top of the order. And my thinking of doing that is to put someone who makes more contact while still not swinging at bad pitches, even with even if he has less power. And that's Jason Hayward. And I like Hayward is a veteran mindset guy too. He's gone through so many phases in his career, and I don't think that we should look at his recent adjustments as like nonchalant. Like I think these are major adjustments he's made. He's put in so much work to get to that point, so much so that I think it's reflective that he could end up being a decent leadoff hitter if he has some some time to work on it as well. So I I don't know the solution to this. Maybe the best solution is against pitchers who are not heavy fastball guys to throw hap for now, but if you're facing heavy fastball guys, which they're going to in the next two weeks, maybe Hayward is the best option in this uh, current moment. Where I would generally land is I would probably leave it alone um, with Hap as long as he's leading off as a lefty. I'm not the biggest fan of him leading off if he's switching to hit from the right side. It's his weaker side, and I think that might be an opportunity to mix things up if you want to do it. Um, I I would I would leave it for now, but I'm 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 monitoring it. Let, let's let's put it that way. Um, All right. Because so, I mean, what's going what's going to change your mind then? Like at some point, like the, the the Brewers are better than we thought, man. Sure. Like Burns and Woodruff and in, in their rotation, like they're they're better than we thought, and the expected projected standings are trending now in that direction. So we're entering May. At some point, you got to make a decision yes. here, and and so like for you, then what, when is that? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd have to see how, how <laughs> it's a feel thing. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, it's a total feel thing, and and you know, yeah. ultimately, the the person whose feel matters the most is neither of us. It's David Ross, really, or I guess what? maybe if Jed Hoyer feels strongly enough about it. But um, I, I think it's 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 again, it's a feel thing, and striking that balance between. Um, you know, again, I know you pointed out that it hasn't been as good of a process from Hap uh, in the immediate past, but or, or you know, immediate recent uh, yeah. games. But in general, I, I think you know his his overall approach and the expected output should be better. Um, but it's it's the balance between that and y- you got to get results right. Like the games aren't won and lost on expected batting average and expected slugging percentage and expected woba and stuff like that. Ultimately, the results have to come, and that doesn't mean you know you sell out for guys that are getting lucky or anything like that. Like you know, if if someone like Eric Sogard was just blooping a bunch of hits that are obviously you know pure luck and positioning, you don't just go, oh well, he you know we got to play him more. Like no, but you have to feel it out a little bit. But with Hap, the results have to come, especially because he's the leadoff hitter right? Like, and, and that's why this is a position that since Dexter Fowler left has been such a point of discussion for the Cubs, because you want to be, 
you want it's it's exactly like this and it was similar for Schwarber at the time in uh 2017 when this was happening too like you want to be able to look at what they're doing as an individual player and say okay this is good this part of their approach is good you know these uh changes or or these things not changing is good I like this we should believe in this at the same time though this guy's getting the most played appearances on the team and you need to get the results because it obviously has an effect on the entire rest of the lineup. It has an an effect on the entire rest of the offensive output because of course it does. So it's a, it's a tricky spot, right? And, and I agree with you, Brendan, much like we talked about with a lot of these guys in the past, there's always the worry that whichever decision you make is going to mess with them long term. And, and so it's, it's a delicate balance. And it's, it's one of those times where I'm glad I'm not uh, the person that is tasked with making these decisions because it's not an easy one. So uh, for me, if may, I, I totally know what you're saying with Hayward, and I think a lot of the process that you're putting out there is right. I think the natural sort of devil's advocate that I assume some of you at home are thinking is that um, I, I don't know how strongly I feel about moving a guy who's currently hitting 212 with a 646 OPS up to the leadoff spot is like is that worth disrupting half or not just letting his process play out a little bit more um but I do understand you know a lot of the merit uh you know contact wise approach wise from maybe looking at Hayward uh again I mean you have the you have the expected numbers and I I, it's not like we're like I, I bring up numbers a lot but you you do have to recognize in this short sample you are extremely limited and how you interpret this and you yeah. do have to watch these games sure and i'm i know i'm not going insane here with this if you watch hayward the past 10 games or so for, for me comparing that to hap i feel better about hayward's approach yeah, no that's and some of the numbers some of the numbers back it up maybe some of them don't but you have to be a little careful how we interpret the data at this point sure i i think that you know i i don't i don't even necessarily feel strongly about this. The 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 thing I I feel strongly about more than anything is that I do think that however they go about it, you know, Hap is going to be better than this. He he deserves a better line than this and I and I I I don't think there's any wavering in terms of Hap being a productive member of this lineup and I want to reiterate that the only reason we're talking about this is because we're almost at the end of a month and this this team's success or failure is is going to rely on little decisions, right? They're, they're not going to be able to get away with talent alone or just how deep their roster is or things like that like they have in past years. It's going to come down to like each individual decision and how that works out on a daily basis. Um, so we'll see. It's, it's just something to keep in mind. And again, like I don't even know how much of a discussion we're having about this. If Ian Hap's hitting in the, in, you know, the, the sixth spot or something like that with the approach that he's had and believing like he's deserved some better luck and and has struck the ball well but you know hasn't gotten the hits to fall in I don't even think we're really talking about him I think the conversation around him is yeah it'll come you know he deserves better the process is is pretty good for the most part it, it, it it'll be fine right but when they're the leadoff hitter and you're talking about a sub 600 OPS it you know, sort of uh, starts to become a point of discussion a little bit more but I want to stay on some of these sort of decisions on the margins and I already know what your answer is going to be so I'm just going to throw it to you um just go ahead and and talk to us (laughs) about Nico and how he's never allowed to leave this team 
I mean, he cannot go back down. Yeah. It's just it's just that simple. I mean, you saw him play left field this weekend too. Yeah. And that, that goes to show you the versatility the guy has. He can play any position, man. He can play third base, shortstop, second base, left field, center field. I'm sure if he had to play right field, he can figure it out. A- at some point, you do have to recognize that the um, the best chance for winning games has to include Nico Horner. There, there's there's no argument for me if you want to win now, and maybe you don't, and maybe that's part of the process. If you want to win now, there's no convincing argument that can be said that you you can win now without having Nico Horner there. Like you're not going to have your best opportunity to win if Nico's down. And I think right now this team needs consistency, right? Like when we're going on double-digit wins to being shut out and losing these low-run games, that's because a lot of these guys' approaches, as we've seen for four years, are hit or miss, and they have the same type of weaknesses. A lot of these guys, although they're improving this year so far, they've had trouble hitting high fastballs. They've had trouble hitting fastballs in general this year. Nico's doing all of his damage in his current stint against fastballs. That's been all of his base hits besides one base hit against fastballs. And he's peppering the ball to right field, to center field, down the line. He's making smart defensive plays. He's making diving plays at second base. He he needs more playing time. And that's probably part, that is part of the discussion of why he's not up right away. So the solution is... Uh, Give him more playing time. And then in terms of when Jock is back, then figure it out. There's got to be ways to figure it out. Also, if we're talking about the fringes, when Jock does come back, you're going to have to make a decision about his playing time against lefties. And if there is a decision to be made there, then you have an open spot with Nico Horner. You put KB to left field, you move Bodie to third base, and you start Nico at second base. So I think it's possible this, this guy cannot go down. Corey. Yeah. He can't go down. He's hitting fastballs all over the place. And he's done that. He just needs consistent playing time. And he's a different hitter than he was last year with his open batting stance and his increased athleticism and his natural growth as a young baseball player. Give the guy a chance. He deserves a chance. As we've seen a little bit more over the last week or so, you know, especially in that Met series and a little bit this weekend, he just provides what I think this team needs more of and and more of what will help them avoid those stretches where the offense is particularly putrid right because he makes more Mm -hmm. contact he's got a good approach like you said he's doing damage on fastballs which is not something everybody in this lineup you know is always doing he's athletic he's a good base runner he's an excellent defender I, I think you have to find a way to keep him on the team. The The long-term development, like I mentioned earlier, is the priority. But I think with the way things have played out here and the way that David Ross has shown a willingness to move things around and try different lineups or, or things like that, uh, I, I think there is a way to get him the proper amount of playing time. I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be true. And, and that doesn't mean that you have to stop giving David Bodie playing time or uh, not do a good faith effort of giving David Bodie that opportunity to prove himself, right? He's his own unique situation. I think you should be able to do all of this in a way that doesn't harm any of these guys in, in terms of their playing time. But I think, and it's it's not just going off of 
these few games that we've seen from Nico, but we we knew kind of who he was in his profile, and we know what he still needs to do to be where he wants to be in his career. But when 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 you're looking at this team and what they need, I think he's he's got the potential to be bringing a lot of that stuff. And when we're talking about cleaning up on the margins and winning close games and doing those little things that that win you close games. Nico is just such a good candidate for all of this stuff, man. You know, he's going to be someone that can hit situationally, can make contact to the right side of the field when you need to move a runner over, things like that. And, you know, like I said, like he can run on the bases when you need him to bring that athleticism on defense. And and like you said, Brendan, he's like so many guys in this Cubs organization over the last few years, he'll play wherever you want him to. If he needs to be out there before the game with Mike Borzello or whoever taking balls at, at catcher for all I care, like Nico will do it. He doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, he's athletic. He'll do whatever the team needs him to do, right? So I think unless David Ross has some particular reason that he just cannot get him in the lineup enough, which when I'm looking at this, I don't see necessarily why that would be the case. Uh, I think you'd probably be giving the wrong people playing time if that were the case. I think you have to try to find a way to keep him because I think the diverse profile that he's bringing relative to a lot of his teammates is really necessary for this team. Uh, And I want to stay on that a little bit and kind of uh, talk about a little bit of, of what you mentioned in terms of when Jock comes back and and what he looks like, you know, I, I think uh, I I mentioned earlier, you know, maybe being tr- treating Hap as a right-handed hitter a little differently than when he's hitting left-handed. David Bodie, you know, in terms, you know, he played third base on Sunday. He's someone that can move around to still get that playing time. Chris Bryant looks good in the outfield. When you're when you're looking at this offense and and the guys who we're generally seeing on a daily basis, are there beyond, you know, we talked a little bit about the leadoff spot, even though I don't know that we really reached a definitive conclusion between the two of us, but anything on this offense that you would like to continue to see, see more of? I know we've talked about Jake Marisnik uh, kind of a lot between the two of us, and, you know, he got some starts this week, had a big game on Friday, um, but anything in terms of tweaking this lineup or tweaking how some of these guys are playing beyond what we've already discussed today? Well, it's, it's so difficult to have like a confident opinion because Jock's bad performance may have been influenced by that wrist injury. And I, I it's, it's all to say, too, even when he comes back, you don't know if that wrist is 100% healed or you don't know what the lingering effects of a wrist injury is those are those are bad injuries man those can come and go and mess up you know months at a time for your season so i don't know what to think i don't know if his lackluster start is because scouting reports got against him or if it's predominantly driven by by an injury that also then goes to the question how long do you want to wait to find out right and if he does come back it's not even a guarantee he comes back and like you know, after the 10 days, if he does come back, I, I, I don't see the argument that makes sense to bat him against lefties. Like I just don't see well, it. So There's... now let me, let me ask you this. How, how do you feel? 
about the kind of way that we were told that whole conversation went down, right? Because the way we were kind of presented the information was that Jock was told he's the starter in left field and then he's going to get that opportunity. Now, just because Jed Hoyer told him that doesn't necessarily mean that there is some sort of legal, like, binding contract in that regard. I I don't believe that that is something that is like that some sort of games played minimum is in his contract or anything like that. Um, So this is probably just a conversation thing. Do you feel like there is a point at which the the Cubs owe that to him uh, or they can just say too bad? Like how, how do you kind of balance what we were kind of led to believe about the situation. Because what he wrote like in the Players' Tribune and how he talked about it was like, this is why I signed here is because of this ability. And, you know, of course, it's only been, you know, a few weeks. So it it, it does feel a little early. But as we're talking about, it it might be something the Cubs have to consider if if they're prioritizing competitiveness. But how do you feel about just that that situation? Yeah, there is a... I'm trying to find the quote, but I, I can just paraphrase. There There was also words Ross said was, well, if you're batting like around 180, you're, you're going to have to sit. And he, Ross did say that. And guess what? He's, he's batting well, after around three weeks, though. He's going to come back in like a week, man. This is May. Yeah. So it's not, this is not April 5th anymore. So I, it sucks that he got injured. Yeah. Like we all, we all know it sucks and it's not his fault, but it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. You, you got to have results. And so if you're going to have someone step up like Matt Duffy or Jake Marisnik, or now Nico is going to be up and he's looking good, this is a competitive business. you got to make tough decisions. And Jock did get the opportunity to start the year hitting lefties, starting every day. It's unfortunate that he hurt his wrist and someone stepped up in the process maybe, but that's that's how the sport is. And I think it's I think it's fair. They gave him the shot, man. They gave, And they could still give him the shot. We don't know what's going to happen. But I don't think it's unfair if he were to come back to not get as many plate appearances against lefties. I think right now the Cubs are in a division race. They have guys who are performing better than expected, perhaps, when he comes back. And it's not fair to those guys who have made changes, like Marisnik and Nico and, and Duffy. It's not fair to them to not get playing time when they're getting their results. So that that's 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 where I'm at. And I... Again, I'm conflicted because Jock looked great in spring, and it's not to say, hey, you know, because he looks great in spring, give him the chance. But it's such a stark contrast that the way I'm thinking is that wrist injury had to have played a role in that just snapping of the fingers, quick decline where he's not hitting fastballs anymore. Yeah, I it's it's a tough spot, and and this is sort of the spot that the Cubs and and Jed Hoyer put themselves in to a degree with how they built this roster and, you know, having such having such a roster that has so many guys on short contracts, prove themselves type contracts, expiring contracts, it it does get a little tricky as to how you want to manage all of this. But I I think the the main like point of this conversation that you and I had today I don't think was meant to necessarily offer definitive solutions or conclusions to a lot of these things but more so just to start the conversation and highlight some areas where if if you are looking at 2021 and this team being competitive and trying to 
continue their reign as the NL Central champions, there are decisions you'd have to be making in the interest of doing that, in the interest of the 2021 team and winning games. And these are just some of the areas where you're going to have to start looking. And, you know, the jock situation is tough with what they might have promised him or what he might be hoping for. And again, you know, it's it's such a small sample so far, but it, there does come a point where you are going to start to look at someone like Matt Duffy, who's making more contact and, and maybe provides a little more of that against left-handed pitching. Someone like Jake Marisnik, who is another guy, you know, who brings a, a nice set of skills, not someone who's, you know, necessarily should be playing every day or all the time, but get him in there against a lefty and you know he had a big game on on Friday and he he's got that speed he's got the defense another guy who just sort of gives you a different type of personality from from a lineup perspective so it's it's just it's something they're going to have to consider and i think it's you know it's really highlighted by uh, kind of like the Nico Horner situation and what they're ultimately going to do with that but real quickly yeah. before uh, you do the series preview for this Brave series coming up. Just a, a, a quick touch on the bullpen. I think we all know kind of the deal with the bullpen. It's a lot of guys who have some some pretty heavy strikeout stuff, a lot of guys who walk too many guys. Overall, as a unit, they are walking way too many guys. It's a, a problem for the, the, the unit as a whole. And on that same note, right, I, I think we're getting to the point where you're going to have to start tinkering with that a little bit. And there, there's different guys who you may want to continue giving a look to, some guys who you might be on your last look at them, whatever it is. But this bullpen just has too many guys who they might get some whiffs, but they walk too many guys. And, and it's too inconsistent. And, and we saw that a lot uh, early on, and we've we've seen it through this season. You know, you look, and and they're all different. So if I list them to get, like, they're not together in terms of wh- their performance or anything like that. But you know, like Maples, Rex Brothers, Brandon Workman, Dan Winkler, Ryan Tapera, like you know, those are guys who can get outs, they can get whiffs, but they also are so inconsistent. And if the command isn't there, it's going to be bad, right? And, you know, there's other guys in the bullpen, but like Sunday was a really good example, I think, of kind of the problem with how this bullpen is constructed and why, you know, you might want to bring Strope back. You might want to bring someone like Justin Steele back or just start trying different guys because we're a month into this and you can't just keep giving some guys opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and hoping that something changes. Like Sunday was a really good, I think, kind of microcosm of this where Jason Adam gets himself in trouble. Jason Adam's a guy who I think has good stuff, but is, you know, not uh, immune to this same problem where the command isn't there and it's a mess, right? And it was a mess on Sunday. Um, And then you're looking to bring someone in to put out the fire, right? And other than Craig Kimbrell, Chafin's been been, uh, good on the season. He's been... uh, I think big in a lot of spots, but he's also struggled as well. His ERA is sitting at five, right? So I don't know if he's uh, the the type of of reliever that you'd like to be your second out of the bullpen behind Craig Kimbrell, right? If you know Rowan Wick came back, maybe you can move him down. You feel a little more comfortable with that. Um, but like other than Kimbrell, really, like who are you? Like the bases were loaded. You need whiffs, 
but you also need somebody to not let this inning spiral out of control. Who are you bringing in? Brendan, right? You've got an entire bullpen where you have no idea if the guy's going to come in with the bases loaded and walk in a run. And David Ross tried Dylan Maples, and that's exactly what happened. Two of them, right? So it's it's just one of those things where I, I, I say that's a microcosm of the problem with the bullpen as constructed because I think it's a bad spot where when the bases are loaded and you need somebody to put out a jam, you have like basically one person that you're confident like, yeah, this guy will come in and not make this fire way worse, right? And and I, I think Chafin might be in there, but he's had some, you know, some not so great outings as well. Uh, so I think you, you have to consider shaking some of this stuff up. And, you know, like whether it's Dylan Maples or Rex Brothers, I, again, with, with a lot of these guys, I get what they see. I get why they want to keep trying. I get what they are envisioning if it were working. But for a lot of these guys, it really feels like you're just kind of spinning wheels, man. And and before I, I, I let you offer an opinion on that and then ultimately do the preview, Brennan, I do just also want to mention uh, he I didn't include him in this because he's sort of serving a different role. But Alec Mills has been big for this team. And I think it's a credit to yeah. him for adapting to this role. I know he wanted to be in the rotation, uh, but Sunday, another two inning, you know, a multi-inning outing for him allows just two hits, no runs, no walks, no strikeouts. But he is is showing an ability to adapt to that role and give David Ross and Tommy Hadovy a really nice option to eat innings, move games along, and, and keep things under control, right? Throw strikes, get outs, pitch to contact, let the defense do their job. And as we've talked about a lot, as the staff has not been giving a lot of length, the starting staff in terms of their outings, you know, a lot of five or six inning starts, huge for Alec Mills to have accepted that role, adapted to that role, and and ultimately, you know, setting him himself up to thrive in that role. So he's sort of in a different uh, box, I think, with some of these other relievers. They're going to get whiffs. They're a, a nasty bullpen from stuff. But they're going to have command issues. And the hope is, as they continue to get more work, those command issues for some of them dwindle away. That That's that's the hope. Uh, there's there's no there's no way you can just go into the alternate state, pick someone out, and just assume, all right, here comes a guy coming in with a walk rate below 2.5 per nine. There, there's, there's no one there that exists like that. Maybe Justin Steele gets that opportunity. He should get the opportunity, I think, next time up. But to your point, you don't have someone like that on this on this roster. And for now, that may be okay. But when you go into like July and August, and if you are competing, you're going to have to get someone else. It doesn't take away all the success they've had with the bullpen because it has it has been an overall strength dating back to you know 2020. You're taking someone like a Jason Adam, um, and you're just completely renovating the guy's career. And they've done that with Rowan Wick and basically their entire bullpen. I mean, Ryan Tapera uh, had the third best whiff rate in the league last year. And his, in his most recent outing, he had a ton of cutter whiffs. He started throwing his cutter again. He didn't throw one cutter the outing before the last. He comes in this one. He throws nine cutters, throws it a mile and a half faster, and he's getting whiffs again so that's that's the hope the hope being the stuff is there for the majority of these guys now within the next 
few months, the next step is maybe one or two of those guys get their command shaped up because right now that's what you have to bank on. And if it doesn't work, then you go out outside the organization, you try to get someone else, that's what they end up doing. But for the short-term picture here, you have no other solutions and that might be okay. You might go through sprouts where you have like different really heavy walk innings and then you may go through some other stretches where you're striking everyone out and that's just the way it is it's it's volatile we knew this it's never changed but that's that's all we have right now Corey. yeah i just think at some point you know as as a unit as a whole um at at some point you got to start getting perhaps a little more aggressive with with some of these guys but i mean like what like the aggressiveness like it'd be different if you had alternate guys you you don't you don't have that like this is every single one of them has the potential to strike out 12 guys per nine innings and every single one of them also has the potential to walk five guys per inning for nine innings as well every single one of them and so that was the thinking let's get the the nastiest guys possible which i like let's optimize their stuff which they have and i like and let's hope a few of them get their command shaped up so far it's been kind of a hit or a miss. I think Jason Adam, outside of his most recent outing, has looked really good. And he could be one of those guys where we look back on a month from now and be like, all right, there's our guy who's not walking anyone with that nasty stuff. So I think for the lineup, maybe they don't deserve as much patience because we've seen a bigger sample of what they do. For the bullpen, the sample is still so small. And well, I still but think not it's possible. all of them, though. I mean, the sample on you I know think- guys like Rex Brothers and stuff is pretty large. The thinking with Rex Brothers is that he's a different type of pitcher, though. So, like, if you look yeah, at Rex Brothers from three years, I'm not buying it yeah. either, but I'm saying that's the process, though, Corey. That's what they're thinking. Well, is, right? I mean, I, have... I guess that's what I'm saying in turn. You know, I know that they don't have a, you know, it's not like a litany of options, but at some point it's just like, all right, like. I mean, you can cut bait, but like the, who are you replacing them with? You, I, I mean, again, Justin Steele, yes, but outside of Justin Steele, you have Pedro Strope, sure. You have Brad Week, sure. Those are not surefire options either. If you're looking for like a guy from, you know, as an example, like pre Joe Madden, Steve Cizek, who's not going to walk anyone, those are hard to get there. They don't exist on this team right, right. now. And, that's the hope. We is that need, we one need of Rowan these guys back and healthy is. I think. And I hope and, and I hope he comes back. Conclusion. I'm a little. I'm concerned about that injury. I'm concerned he won't be able to come back with that velo. But if it's back, then yeah, a lot of our problems are going to be a little bit less uh, anxiety inducing. So that that is a hope. I think that's more of a wait and see game than it is for the lineup, though, in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, like you said, this is you know kind of always how it was going to be with this bullpen. We knew what we were yeah. getting into. Yep. All right. So let's preview the series against the Braves. We have a four-game series starting Monday. That first game is at 6.10 p.m. Central. We have Zach Davies on the mound for the Cubs. Again, this is in Atlanta, so they start a seven-game road trip. Davies on the year, 1-2, and two, an 8.8 ERA. Not good. He'll be facing Charlie Morton, 1-1, one one, with a 3.91 ERA. On Tuesday, we have Trevor Williams facing the Braves. Uh, Ian Anderson, Williams on the year is 2-1, and one, with a 4.66 ERA. Anderson on the year is 1-0, and oh, with a 3.27 ERA. That start time at 6.20 p.m. Central. On Wednesday, we have the professor, Kyle Hendricks, on the mound on the year. He's 1-2 with a 5.6 
ERA. He'll be facing Waskar Nyoa, who on the year is 1-1 one one with a 3.68 ERA. The Braves have not announced their last starter for the four-game set, which takes place at 6.20 p.m. Central again. But they have announced the Cubs starter, which will be Adbert Alzali. Alzali on the year, 0-2 with a 5.4 ERA, hoping to come off that last start, throwing more sliders, getting as many whiffs. The Braves on the year starting off slow, 9-12. and 12. The Cubs right now, 10-11. and 11. Things to look for. I mean, you guys know the, the obvious uh, features at this point. We need more consistency from the lineup, hitting fastballs. We got some glimpses of that for the past two series. Uh, look for Nico to get more playing time. Look to see how Ross utilizes Matt Duffy and David Bodie, whether or not he puts KB in the outfield the entire time again. I think, I think those are the features. But at the end of the day, it's just you got to be more consistent. You got to be more consistent with your approach and making more contact. And hopefully that comes sooner rather than later. Yeah, so the Braves are going to head into this series with the Cubs having been shut out by the Arizona Diamondbacks in a 14-inning doubleheader. Uh, The Braves on Sunday in 14 innings against Zach Galen and Madison Bumgarner uh, get one hit, no runs. Uh, So Madison Bumgarner in the second game threw a seven-inning no-hitter. I don't know if that counts as a normal no-hitter or not. Uh, That's a new baseball thing. Uh, but they score no runs, and they struck out 13 times. So they're coming in hot, is is what I'm saying. So uh, hopefully, you know, that offense has a lot of talent in it, but they're they're not clicking right now. So hopefully, this is a, a good spot for Zach Davies to kind of turn things around a little bit with the way that his season has started. And yeah, I mean, just uh, want to see more consistency from the offense. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much the story. Those, those big, you know, run explosions where you're getting 14, 15, 16 runs. They're very nice, but, uh, you you know, clearly we need to spread the love a little bit more to all three games uh, of the series. Uh, I know it doesn't work like that, but uh, just a little more consistency throughout the series and, you know, not necessarily having it so much concentrated in one game. Uh, You know, still looking at Hap, uh, you know, again, overall, I think he deserves better output still kind of waiting for him to have that that big series I think that would be a, a big one for him continuing to watch uh, where Nico Horner is playing and you know how often David Ross is getting him in there and other than that just you know again it, it's this is how this season's going to be it's it's going to be close series competitive series um you know, really, for the most part, like there's been uh, several games, you know, a handful where the Cubs have, you know, it's just been a blowout and it just hasn't been close. But but generally, uh, these are close games. These are competitive games. And, and that is how a division that ultimately might be decided by somebody winning, you know, 87, 88, 90 games, something like that. These are the games that really count. The The Cubs have got to find a way to be more consistent and uh, pick up these W's in these tight games. And as we've noted a lot, and you know, we saw this weekend, the Brewers are really good at closing down those games, pushing across runs, and shutting things down for the day. And the Cubs, uh, as this season goes on, are going to have to find ways to be better about that themselves. Uh, so that is the story of things, a, a disappointing end to this weekend at Wrigley Field, but, uh, you know, still a lot of positives and I think things to be optimistic about as we go forward here. And and I think ultimately the conclusion as we, we near the end of April here in, in several days, 
this team is as, I, I think, competitive as we thought they might be, right? They're in the thick of it. They they can win this division. I, I don't think any opinion on that should have changed. It, it's just a matter of getting some of these clicking, getting some of these things clicking, especially in lineup and in that bullpen and you know, kind of putting it together and going on a little bit of a run here. I wish it would have started after the 15 run outpouring on Friday, but alas, we will have to start a new winning streak on Monday in Atlanta. So that is the story of things for us. We will talk to you guys after the Cubs and Braves wrap up their series. As always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs-related podcast. We will talk to you again in a few days, and as always, go Cubs!